This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page, and on Twitter at Burn555555. If you enjoy these podcast episodes, you should check out the Literary Salon tab on my website and sign up for our newsletter. Thanks to Nana of Read the World Better on Instagram for sharing my podcast on her social media recently. I am always so grateful to see people sharing it. Today, I am interviewing Mark Graney about Relentless, the 10th book in the Gray Man series. Mark's debut international thriller, The Gray Man, was published in 2009 and became a national bestseller and a highly sought-after Hollywood property. Mark is also the number one New York Times bestselling author or co-author of seven Tom Clancy novels, including his most recent, Tom Clancy, True Faith and Allegiance. Mark lives in Memphis, Tennessee with his wife, his three stepchildren, and his three dogs, Lobo, Ziggy, and Winston. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Mark. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you about Relentless and just about the entire Gray Man series. So why don't we get started with you just talking a little bit about the series generally and then about this particular installment in the series? Sure. So the Gray Man series, first book came out in 2009 and it was called The Gray Man. And the, the series is surrounding a hero named Court Gentry, who is a former CIA paramilitary officer who in different books of the series has, has played different roles. He, he was a kind of an assassin for hire, but a guy with a very strong moral compass. He's also worked for the CIA and he's been on the run from the CIA. And now he's kind of back with them in a, in a contract capacity, I guess you could say. And this book opens up with court in a CIA medical facility. He's injured from things that happened in an earlier book. And he's in no way ready for action, but he's yanked out of his bed by the deputy director of operations for the agency and sent on a kind of around the world for an international conspiracy. Well, where did you come up with the idea originally for The Gray Man? Honestly, I was in El Salvador and I was down in Guatemala studying Spanish language and I was writing, but hadn't been published or anything. And I was down in El Salvador one weekend and I was just at a bar and I saw this guy sitting at the bar on the other end. And when he came in, he sat down, he turned the light off. He was American, I could tell by hearing him speak a little bit, but he was just kind of off to himself. He didn't look like the other Americans that I saw down in Central America who are like language students or surfers or whatever. He kind of had this grittier feel to him. So just as I sat there, sat there that night drinking beer, I came up with this whole backstory for this guy that he was former CIA, but now was on the run and living in the third world and hiding out and the different things he was doing. And I, I started writing the book very shortly after that. Did it take a while to get it initially published? And then did you have an idea it would be a series or did you just write the first book and then kind of go from there? It took a while to get published. It was the third manuscript that I gave the man that I wanted to be my agent, an agent who I had met and and really wanted him to be my agent. So it was the third novel that I'd given him. And the third novel I gave him was called Goon Squad. And it had this character, Court Gentry, the gray man in it. He, reje- he rejected it, but said, I really like the hero. I like the writing. I just don't think the story is big enough for the hero. But there was a subplot in the gray man. He said, if you rewrote the whole book and that subplot was the, the main focus of action, I think that's publishable. So I went and spent seven months writing my fourth book, and that's what was published. Did I plan on it being a series from the beginning? No, I was honestly just trying to hold a book in my hands that had that had my name on it. I mean, it was literally nothing more than that. The, 
Well, I guess that's how it works most of the time, because you're just, like you said, trying to get your book out into the world and not really thinking I'm going to get 10 books out into the world, but instead, let's just get started. And once we do, hopefully it will go from there. Right. Although uh, when I met Tom Clancy, I was chatting with him and I was asking him questions about like, did you know that you had a series from the beginning? He said, absolutely. And I believe him. He said, absolutely. He had it graphed out where the, you know, where everything took place in the, in the timeline and all that. And I thought, wow, you, you are orders of magnitude more advanced than I was. I was literally just trying to put a hundred thousand words in a row that somebody wanted to publish. I'm not sure I've ever heard an author say that except for Tom Clancy now. So I think you're probably in the majority and he was in the minority and maybe he just knew he was going to be great. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Well, and I want to hear a little bit about you writing the Jack Ryan books in a little bit when we're done talking about the gray man. Sure. So when you started out with Relentless, how did you come up with plot for this particular one? I mean, when you're writing earlier stories, do you sort of get offshoots and think, oh, that'd be a great story later on? I'm going to write it down. Or do you just wait till you get to your next book and start brainstorming? Or how is that process for you? Well, it, it's changed over time. And, and The Gray Man is my 10th published novel, but it's actually, I mean, my 10th Gray Man novel, but it's actually my 20th published novel. So I've written two books a year, just about every year since I first got published. And there's not really one way, except I know that while I'm writing one book, I need to be just kind of ruminating on whatever next up is. And I can't just wait until I'm totally finished with this one and, and the next morning just come into work and say, all right, let's write a new book. So I do kind of like piddle and, and do research and just read things in my downtime. And with Relentless, I just read an article about how the United States Central Intelligence Agency has a an agreement with the United Arab Emirates, a Sunni nation in the Middle East, to that we do not spy on them because we set up their intelligence shop. And it's just this agreement. And as a fiction writer and a thriller writer specifically, it, you spend a lot of time thinking, what if? And I'm like, what if somehow this came back and bit us in the rear end? And so I did more re research on their relationship with Iran and things just developed from there. And I had a I had a plot pretty quickly after reading that first article. I, I just could expand on that and see how that could create an interesting story. How long does it take you to write each one of these? I mean, I'm assuming with you writing two books a year that you've got to write pretty quickly. Yes, I, I say six months a book, but it's not nearly that organized. And, and then you're editing while you're writing the next one and I'll get the edits back from my publisher and I'll just I'll just edit the previous book for a few weeks and I'll get back to the work in progress. And so it's a back and forth and back and forth deal. I I just wrote the first like fifty thousand words of a book and then had to just shelf that for now and start working on Gray Man eleven. So I'd have that done in time and then I'll go back to that other book. So this year I'm basically gonna be working on three projects and just little chunks of each one. After a while you can kind of train your brain to just open up the document that is and live in the characters' brains of, of that story. Compartmentalize. Yeah, to a degree. It's never as clean or as perfect as I'd like it to be. I'm always wanting to evolve. <laughs> but that has been, after 20 books, I've gotten this far. Now, are the other 10 books all Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan stories? Or have you written some standalones too? No, yeah, so seven of them. So I wrote three books with Tom while he was still alive. And then four books for the estate, Jack Ryan novels after, after Tom passed. So that's seven books. I also wrote a standalone well, it was originally a standalone called Red Metal that I co-authored with the active duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel 
big military thriller that came out in 2019. We are doing a sequel to that, so it is no longer a standalone, but it was at the, it was at the time. And early in my career, I got hired to do some ghostwriting. So I had two books published under another name, and my name appears nowhere on the, on the book. So that's two more. So that's 20 and all. That's a lot, and not in that long a period of time. No, I mean, really, I wrote Gray Man in 2007, and here we are in 2021, and my 20th book is out, but I have two more in the hopper and some other projects. So it's been close to two a year. Do you have a favorite character in the Gray Man series? I mean, obviously, he's probably your very favorite character, but you can tell me about that. But is there another character in that story that you really enjoy writing or in a particular episode of it that you really enjoyed? I think there's a few characters that come into and out of the series, depending on the book. But there's a guy named Zach Hightower, who early in Court's career was his boss or his team leader on this paramilitary ground branch unit that he was in. And then they sort of became adversaries. And now they're allies. And I like him because he's funny. Writing his dialogue is probably my favorite part of the whole story. And the dialogue that Court plays off of him. So Cord is sort of the straight man and Zach is a little bit more of the of the wild card. It's fun to write him. There's a lot of characters that I really love. I've even had villains that I've planned for the entire book on killing. And at the end of the book, like I can't kill this guy or this lady. It's like they're too interesting. I, I want to use them again someday. So I get I do get it drawn to characters in ways that that saves their lives ultimately. That's hilarious. I'm not sure I've ever heard an author phrase it that way, but you actually saving their lives. I say, yeah, they, they can talk me out of killing them, I guess. Well, what about a favorite book of all of the ones you've written? Is there one that you just go back to over and over again thinking, I just loved that book? I just had to read the first book in the series again, because the book I'm writing now, Gray Man 11, things that happen early in his career come out. And Obviously, I'm 10 books into this. I don't remember everything cold <laughs> the way that I should as far as things that happened. So I just had to read the first book. And honestly, in my head, it's my it was my least favorite Gray Man book just because I was less mature as an author. And once I started working with Clancy, I learned a lot more about sort of like the espionage world and the, the books became like more densely plotted. And I just had it in my head that the first Gray Man was basically like diehard, bombastic, crazy action piece that just takes place in a short period of time and was a little two-dimensional. I have to say, and I don't compliment myself very often, (laughs) but I read it and I was like, wow, there's, there's a depth in here that I didn't remember. And I guess I'd sold myself short on what I was capable of 10 years ago, because you just feel like you just get better as you go. And and I get asked that question every year, which is my favorite gray man. And it's always the newest one, because you just feel like you've matured as an author. Now, some of the plots or some of the things that happen with the characters are are more, let's say, focused in some books, just because some books are more about the personal stories of the characters and more, and some are more about larger, like world 30,000 foot level plots. I would say my fifth Gray Man book, Backblast, is the one where you find out why the CAA has been trying to kill Court for all these years. And he learns a lot about himself and that, that he didn't know. And so that's probably a, one of the most deeply personal books uh, of the, of the 10 that I've written. And Consequently, that's one of the highest reviewed out of all my books. It's nothing more than it is a very personal story to the hero and you really care about the character. 
The other thing that I hear authors comment a little bit on is the writing of the book. So say it took you much longer to get that one written because you just couldn't get the plot to work like you wanted it to or a particular character to do what you wanted them to do. And they either then kind of look back on that book with like, oh, or they look back at it like I recovered and I won <laughs> against the book and I got it out there. And sometimes that ends up, I think, impacting the way authors look back on some of their books too. Yeah, absolutely. I've never heard anybody else say that, but I've always said when people ask me what my favorite books are, I always think about what was going on in my life when I was writing them and as opposed to anything else. And some books, like I had a really, really good research trip while writing them. And consequently, I just had this really good feeling about them. And then other books, I was having ankle surgery and I wasn't able to travel or I was going through a divorce or something like that. So it's like, that book's terrible because I was getting divorced. It had nothing to do with writing the book. The writing is fine. There's, there's nothing about that that I'm second guessing or, or, or whatever. It's, it's more just like, I just remember you, you name a book and it, it just puts me back into wherever I was when I was writing it. Your headspace is kind of, it reflects what you were, exactly what was happening in your life when you were particularly writing that one. Yeah, I'm not able to look at it any more analytically than was I having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me how the Tom Clancy thing came about. When my agent, he sent my book out to 10 different publishers, he sent the gray man out and nine publishers turned it down and one publisher took it in and that his name is Tom Colgan and he happened to also be Tom Clancy's editor. And I remember feeling like, that's pretty cool. This is a paperback, mass market paperback release. It wasn't a big release. There wasn't an auction for the gray man. It was a very small deal in the scheme of things. I was proud of it, but it was a small initial release. But it was like, it's Tom Clancy's editor. How cool is that? So I'd only been writing for two years. I just turned in the third gray man book. And I was waiting to hear back on what my editor thought about that. And instead, I got a call from my agent saying that my editor was considering me to co-author with Tom Clancy. And I really couldn't believe it. But after a few weeks, I actually said, okay, you guys haven't decided yet. I know the Clancy stuff down cold because I've been the hugest Tom Clancy fan since the mid 80s. So how about I do a tryout? How about I write like 50 pages that's just like in the middle of a Tom Clancy book and show you that I, I know how to how the characters talk and who's who and their relationship. So I did that. And pretty shortly after that, I went to Baltimore to meet Tom the next thing I knew. Well, that's very cool. And that had to just be so exciting to get that phone call. And then what a great way to approach it. Yeah. I, I mean, I was terrified. I always say my first thought was, how do I get out of this? My agent's never going to speak to me again if I say no. It, it just felt so much bigger than anything I had done. And literally, it was just it was like social anxiety, meeting Clancy and entering into that big world. But then after a, a few weeks, I was like, okay, they're going to want me to do this. And the, the due date of the book isn't going to change. So I want to get started on it if this is going to happen. So that's when I said, listen, I, I will show you guys that I know that I'm the right guy for the job. Well, I did not know that Tom Coolgan was Tom Clancy's editor. We follow each other on Twitter, and I've been watching his like quarantine journal, and I just love to hear what he has to say about books. So that's nice to make that personal connection for me, just to understand that he had that relationship. Now, and I guess, is he your editor too then? He's my, he's my editor. He's been my editor on 18 of the 20 books that I've written, and hopefully he will on, the, on every book I write henceforth. I think it's so interesting because the publishing world is a lot smaller than you think it's going to be, just like any world. When I, I'm in here and I know a variety of people, and then the longer you go, the more connections there are. Yeah. Yeah. I actually said the first couple of years I was published that I didn't really know any other authors. And then now it's like, I feel like I know everybody just because 10 years have passed and I've just 
connected and networked through people. And I, I will be at a bookstore and I'll look at all the new releases and just to annoy my stepkids or whatever, I will just point out every name of somebody who I'm friends with. It's usually most of the people. And then it's kind of embarrassing when I don't know somebody. Well, I think the thriller and mystery world is also a little more, I don't know what the right word is. Insular is not correct, but but a, a good group. And there's a lot of people knowing each other because there's a variety of like mystery conferences and events like that that are just geared to that genre. Exactly. And the BoucherCon, which is mystery and uh, crime, mystery and thriller, is kind of a really great example of that. Mystery is so much larger. We thriller authors feel like we have a tiny little toehold in BoucherCon, but we always have a great time. And we always like the mystery writers and the crime writers or whatever. It's it's not exactly what we do, but I mean, who doesn't love that stuff? So it's always fun to go to those things. It is. And I just think you end up knowing so many people every time you attend a different one, your world grows. Yeah, exactly. You're, and you're, you're put on panels with people or you're sitting next to people in signing lines or you're introduced in the coffee shop or in the bar or whatever. And your, your world grows. And I, I always tell young authors that haven't been published, they're always asking me for advice. And I'm like, go to these conferences and just talk to people. And even people that you think, well, okay, that person's published author or well-known or whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter. Everybody's the same at these things. And it's, and it's a good way for you to see that the published successful authors, quote unquote, it's not a rarefied error. They're not any way different. I, I would go to conferences long before I was published and just not talk to anybody just because I just felt intimidated by other people's success. And, and I look back on that as incredible waste of time. <laughs> Well, it's hard though, because you're just trying to kind of get the lay of the land and figure out what to do. But, and I'm also sure as successful as you have been, you're getting people requesting all the time for blurbs. In fact, I had a book arrive yesterday that I'm all excited about. It's a Texas story. And I looked across the top and I'm like, oh, how funny. I'm interviewing Mark Graney tomorrow. And there is his name on Taylor Moore's Downrange. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I get that all the time. And I do as much as I can because A, you want to give back and B, a lot of times these are friends. If a blurb from me can ever help you, just come come to me. But on the other hand, I will get, if I open my email right now, there'll be somebody asking for a blurb and there's nothing wrong with asking. I would do the same thing if I was in their position, but physically, like I like to read the book and spend a little time with it. So I think there's a protocol to it, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt to ask. Well, and I think it is nice to give back. And I think, especially in the situations you're first describing, where it's either a friend or somebody your agent knows or editor or something like that. But yes, I mean, you would be reading around the clock, I'm sure, if you responded yes to every person that asked. Yeah, for sure. And then and then my inbox and my Facebook Messenger is always full of people like, hey, I need to pick your brain about an idea I had, or I want to write this book, but I'm not really a writer. You want to write it with me? I'll split it with you and and all these things. And my pat answer is just as you are very passionate about your idea, I have ideas of my own about which I am very passionate. And I'm just going to keep working on those. And I wish you all the best with yours. That would be hilarious. I think that would be so funny to get an email from somebody saying, I'm not a writer, but I have an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get that a lot. It's And it's sort of like, you're the writer, but I have an idea. And sometimes they'll give me the idea and it's the most thin thing you've ever, ever imagined. God bless their, their optimism. I agree with that completely. And I get asked all the time because I review and I write for magazines about books and things like that. Oh, when are you going to write your book? I'm like, never. <laughs> I'm not a writer. Like, I don't have the idea that I want someone else to co-write with me, nor do I want to sit down and write. I mean, I love writing reviews of books and I love talking about books, but I mean, I myself am not a writer. There's, there's thousands of little speed bumps every time you write a book. And 
each one of them can stop you and and very legitimately so and i tell people that want to be writers i'm like but if you can get over one of those speed bumps you've just left a bunch of people behind at that at that last speed bump you write the whole book and you edit it and you, you get it completely finished and suddenly you're looking around and there's not that many of you around trying to get published. So it's just something you've got to be passionate about because it does take a lot of time and and effort. No, I think so completely. And I guess I should say about a fiction writer, because I do write a lot, but it's related to books and things like that. I'm not going to just sit down and start writing some kind of fiction tale. Well, talking about books that you've really liked and how it does take time to read them, but things that you've read and have really stuck with you, what would you recommend? Oh, there's a bunch of new stuff that either has just come out or is coming out. And since a lot of times I get books early from people that I know or from people asking for blurbs, I never exactly know if the book is out yet or not. Brad Taylor's new book is out for sure. It's called American Trader and it's terrific. I recently read The Treadstone Exile, which is by Joshua Hood. And it's uh, in the Ludlum vein. It's the, the Ludlum estate book. It's called The Treadstone Exile. And it's a fantastic, just bonkers, high speed action thriller. It's also very, very smart. I'm a huge fan of Don Bentley, even though this is only his second book. I read his first book last year and I just thought it was magnificent. Um, And his, his voice is unique and really, really good. His new one is called The Outside Man. It is as good or better than the first one. So I would recommend that. Nick, Nick Petrie's new book, I think it just came out. And he's a he's a terrific, terrific author. That's one of my favorite series. Actually, again, at Murder by the Book, your books are always there and his books. So during the pandemic, I hadn't read either series and I ended up thinking, well, I have a little bit of time. It's like book five, I think was what he was on at the time. I'll go back and start reading because I couldn't find anything that was sticking with me like early on. I was just constantly scrolling through CNN and all this doom scrolling, what's happening with the pandemic. And so I started that and they're great. I just really, I I interviewed him about a month ago and I, I love that series. And Don Bentley, I keep hearing about, I need to read his book. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, his, he has a kind of a different voice in his writing that I really appreciate. It, 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 re- it really resonates with me. He's a good he's a good author. That's what I keep hearing. So it's always nice when a name pops up over and over again. It's usually a good sign I should pick up his books. And he's only on book two. So it's a good time to pick him up. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I will add, he's writing in the Tom Clancy series now as well. So he has a, a book coming out, a Jack Ryan Jr. novel coming out this summer, I believe. Oh, that's interesting. So tell me what that means, a Jack Ryan Jr. novel. In the olden days, back when I worked in the Tom Clancy world, I left in 2016. And now I already feel like this grizzled old veteran in the trenches because there's been a few other authors that have reached in since then. But in the old year, the olden days, we used to call it the summer book and the, and the Christmas book. And the summer book is sort of a, a smaller, faster paced novel. And it usually featured Jack Ryan Jr., who's the son of Jack Ryan who works at this organization called The Campus, and he's kind of an operative. And The Christmas Book was the larger, bigger book that you we all know as a Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novel, has more scenes in the White House, more scenes in the Kremlin, whereas the Jack Ryan Jr. book is, is more seen down at the individual tactical level. So they both have their strengths. It's fun to get like an action-packed summer read, and then it's fun to get kind of this dense cool winter novel that's 200,000 words or whatever these these books end up being. So they're the same but different. Well, the reason I asked is I have a 15-year-old son, and sometimes trying to get him to read is a lot harder than getting my girls to read. And so I was thinking, oh, if there was like a younger Jack Ryan, that might appeal to him. Do you think a 15-year-old would read those summer ones? I do. 
Yeah, honestly, I do. And it's, it's funny. I just got married in September and, and suddenly I went from having no kids to three stepkids. So suddenly I have kind of I'm tuned in because people would ask me before, can a 13 year old read The Gray Man? And I'm like, I don't I don't want to be the one to tell you because I, I, I don't know. And so now I feel like I'm starting to get opinions on things like that that I've never had opinions on. There are some things like I, I've read, especially a while ago, without ever contemplating whether a kid would read them. And so now I have to sort of think, well, was there anything in that that would be an issue? But OK, good, because that sounds like that might be something that would really appeal to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, Mark, I really appreciate your joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Cindy. I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Mark's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.